I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower, and UConn is going to the final four, their 13th straight. They take down Iowa in the Sweet 16 and then win a classic already against Baylor in the Elite Eight. We're going to start with Baylor just because that was last night. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Still fresh in our minds, still the game that everybody is talking about today. An unbelievable game. I think probably one of the most exciting games in program history. I don't think it's being hyperbolic to say that a game that involves a huge comeback from UConn, then they have to survive a comeback of their own. It comes down to the final possession and UConn wins it on the final possession with their defense. Just an absolutely incredible basketball game to watch. Insanely entertaining And it felt like for the first time in a long time in the NCAA tournament, UConn finally came out on the right end of a heartbreaker in the tournament. Yeah, I think, I mean, the last few seasons, we've seen them go down on these buzzer beaters. And when they went down or were up by just one, kind of going into that last possession, I was like, oh no, here we go again. But it was (laughs) really good to see that come out on top instead. (laughs) Right. Well, when I was in, It was Columbus the year they played Notre Dame and Notre Dame was inbounding the ball on that final possession. And I turned to my boss, Amon, who was in the press box. And I'm like, this is the exact same thing that happened last year, the exact same thing. And the exact same thing happened. And last night, Kristen Williams misses two free throws at the end of the game that at least would have put UConn up three. They would have at least the worst that could have happened would have been that it tied and went to overtime. If she made both those free throws, she misses both misses both pretty badly too. It's not like it rimmed in and out or something. It was not very close. Baylor takes a timeout, gets the ball at midcourt with 17 seconds left. And it was just, I've, I was thinking I've seen this movie before and I guess the way this plays out is going to decide how this next generation is going to go because for some reason, Those Fisa, Lou, Kia, Gabby teams were just cursed. I don't really know if there's any other way to put it except that they were cursed because the fact that that could happen to them two times in a row and then to lose, I think it was a nine-point lead or a seven-point lead in the final minutes against Notre Dame the year after, the basketball gods were just not happy with them. But Dijanae Carrington gets it. 17 seconds left, tries to drive. Olivia Nelson, Adota, and Aaliyah Edwards come out. Shot misses. Game over. And no one talks about that final play again. It just kind of got swept under the rug and definitely (laughs) hasn't been the main topic of conversation ever since. (laughs) Every time I've got on Twitter today, it's just like a wall of tweets about that play. It's insane. Honestly, 
good for the game. I, you can think whatever you want about the play. Good for the game because people are still buzzing about this and it's been almost 24 hours. I was looking for either like a full game that maybe ended up on YouTube or at the very least highlights to just break down what happened on that final play. And I stumbled across a video from Sports Nation on ESPN where they were talking about whether it should have been a foul. And I don't know who it was that was talking, but one of the guys on the show said that UConn winning was really bad for people who root for the underdog. And it's like, okay, dude, clearly you've never, you haven't been following women's basketball because for the past decade, probably Baylor has been the second best program in women's college basketball. And it really hasn't been close. So it's not like Baylor was some huge underdog in this game. And then that just doesn't even bring in the fact that the refs didn't call anything all game, which is fine. That's the way the game I think should have been called, but you can't not complain about the way the entire game was called. And then all of a sudden cry foul. Like you got this game robbed. If they called that as a foul and called the entire game like that, it probably wouldn't have come down to the final buzzer because not only would you kind of been up six or seven or even maybe more, a Baylor player probably would have gotten kicked out at some point. <laughs> like That's how physical it was. And again, it was great that the officials called it loose the entire game. And I think it was great that they called it loose at the end. And it was just really embarrassing for Kim Mulkey and especially Dijon A. Carrington to be going on Twitter and crying about it after at Carrington of all people who just had the most ridiculous flop a few minutes earlier to keep Baylor in the game. It was just, I don't understand how Baylor can be complaining about the officials at all after the way they played. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think if you look at span of the whole game and Carrington wouldn't even have even been on the floor for that play with the amount of time she fouled Paige pretty blatantly if they called it like tighter all game. So to cry about that foul is just ridiculous to me. Like, was it a foul by like the textbook definition of foul? Absolutely. But they didn't call things much worse than that for most of the game. So how are you going to change that in the last seconds? So yeah, the thought that Baylor got robbed of this because of the foul call is ridiculous. I mean, I think there's plenty more things you can point to. They want to look for something to blame it on. I mean, there's the fact that they allowed UConn to go on a 19-0 run without a timeout. The fact that they missed a ton of shots from the from the free throw line. The way the game was called obviously benefited Baylor. They're the more physical team. UConn would have been at the line a lot had it been called differently. So I really don't think they're in any position to be crying about that foul. Right. Well, and especially it was just one or two possessions before that Kristen Williams had a fast break pump fake, and whoever the Baylor player was that was coming down the floor pretty much grabbed Kristen Williams arm as she was shooting and Kristen Williams still finished the basket and that didn't get in called. Someone found this clip of Paige Becker's getting screened and as she's trying to go around the screen the Baylor player grabs Becker's arm and Becker's hits the floor and I remember kind of seeing that during the game but not thinking much of it and like looking back if that probably should have been a flagrant foul to grab someone's arm on a screen isn't I don't remember specifically because I don't watch the NBA a ton but I remember there was like some Celtics heat game in the playoffs a few years back where or maybe it was Celtics Lakers or Cavs someone. It was with the Celtics and Kelly Olynyk like did the same thing. He grabbed, 
I think it was Kevin Love's arm and like, I think dislocated his arm. If Paige Becker's dislocated her shoulder there, like that probably should have been a flagrant two foul. It didn't get reviewed at all. But it, again, it was just ridiculous to see Baylor crying about that foul based on the, the way the entire game went. And also Baylor would have had to make free throws too. And UConn would have had four seconds left. So Baylor might not have made both free throws and it might've only been a tie game and who knows what happens in overtime. Baylor could have missed both free throws too. Baylor could have made both free throws and then Paige Beckers could have gone down and hit a buzzer beater. Like just because that foul wasn't called doesn't mean wouldn't have automatically handed the game to Baylor. That's the other ridiculous thing with it. So yeah, it's just, I personally just think it's a shame that that's what, that's the main narrative out of this game because of how great of a game it was and how much, as Gino said, it really didn't come down. It wasn't all about that final possession. Yes. That's the play. The game was decided on, but everything that led up to that moment is what even put both those two teams in the position. So it's just, it it was just so ridiculous from Baylor, but I guess it's Baylor. So you shouldn't really be surprised. Yeah, exactly. It is ridiculous. It is unfortunate that the I feel like the two main storylines that can have come out of this are one that, that the controversy over whether that was a foul, and two that Kim Mulkey doesn't think we should COVID test in the rest of the tournament for God knows what reasons. So, yeah, unfortunate that that has been the kind of the main things coming out of this. But overall, it was obviously just such a great game and one that's going to be a classic for a long time. I'm just stunned that Kim Mulkey who told one of her players to hide her sexuality and who said that people should be slapped in the face if they think about not sending their daughters to Baylor after a massive scandal where the university university actively covered up rapes and sexual assaults of their football team because their football team won games, had COVID earlier in the year, said the NCAA is only playing because of the almighty dollar, has those thoughts on COVID. Just at, I. It seems so out of character for Kim Mulkey. I mean, <laughs> gee, ah, just where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm still missing like more on that list with Kim Mulkey. But yeah, just a little concerning for UConn that she thinks that after UConn just played them, that was one of my initial thoughts. Like, is, like hopefully Baylor's actually taking this seriously, but... Yeah, Kim Mulkey sucks. That's the moral of the story. Like, at least Muffet McGraw, like, and Pat Summit, and even, like, Don Staley. Like, I know I like to make fun of Don Staley on this podcast a lot because she complains, but Don Staley's not stupid. Don Staley doesn't do actively harmful things. Don Staley is pretty much always a very positive influence on the game, even if she complains and whines a lot. You cannot say the same thing about Kim Mulkey and you've never been able to say the same thing about Kim Mulkey. And just, she is a very, very, very fitting basketball coach at Baylor university. Just an absolutely horrible institution. (laughs) Yeah. I saw a tweet today too, that had her in the press conference saying like fiddling with her mask 24 (laughs) seven. That was just like strong. This is the first time I've worn a mask. (laughs) Or the third time I've worn a mask in, you know, a year vibes. And I was like, yep, that basically sums it up. So (laughs) That was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, to get back to the game. So controversy at the end, but the way it started, it almost seemed like UConn was going to blow Baylor out at the beginning. 
They go out on a 16 to two run. They looked fantastic. Everything was clicking. Their offense was just flowing really well. They had a lot of movement. They were getting baskets, getting tough baskets. Their defense was pretty locked down. They were limiting Baylor's second chance opportunities. They were pretty much in complete control. And then slowly UConn starts turning the ball over. Baylor starts hitting the offensive glass and getting a lot of second chance points. And all of a sudden, no surprise, you knew Baylor was probably going to come back, but Baylor comes roaring back. Go into halftime, two-point game, you cut down to. What were your thoughts at the midway point going into that second half? Honestly, going into the second half, I was still feeling pretty good. I was like, okay, they're only down by two. Aliyah Edwards hasn't played since, I don't know, early on, or kind of halfway through or so, the, the first quarter, because she got two early fouls. And then they kind of just, like, it felt like they fell apart a little bit there in the, the second quarter. A lot of turnovers, but I was like, if they just go back to what was working for them in that kind of the start of the first quarter where they were patient on offense, they were looking for their best shot, they're going to be fine. Right. No, I felt the exact same way where it was like, okay, it's a two-point game, but based on everything that's transpired to this point, the, I felt that UConn, you could point to a couple specific things that would have turned the game around for them that could have helped them out if they could get better on the offensive glass because Baylor was absolutely killing them there. And if you could get Aaliyah Edwards back in there, which is something that kind of goes hand in hand, then suddenly you've got two problems that are fixed very, very easily. Whereas Baylor, I felt like they were going to have a much larger task trying to figure out how to, it wasn't like Baylor was doing anything particularly poor. It was just that UConn was playing well when they were scoring and they were just the better team at times then the third quarter starts and that optimism vanished very, very quickly. Baylor comes out. I think they got an offensive rebound and a second chance point within the first minute. Their lead slowly starts to grow. It gets to as many as eight points at one point. And then Gino takes a timeout and he says, when the players came off the floor, they just had this look that they didn't know if they could do it. And it, felt like that was a very critical point in the game from watching it live because that was the tipping point. Either you, that was going to be the point that started UConn's comeback, or it was going to be the point that they fell apart. I thought it was really interesting after the game. Gino mentioned that one of their teammates said they had this horrible look on their face and they needed to change their body language and change their attitude. And someone asked who it was. And I'm trying to, I was thinking like, Hmm, who could that be? Like, Think of the players on the bench, maybe Nika. And then he's like, no, it was Anna. Like Anna said that I was so surprised that she was the one that called her teammates out. And that honestly seemed to be the turning point, but that was a very dangerous point in the game. And by that point, I think my optimism, like I did all that optimism I had at halftime was gone. <laughs> yeah I, I agree at that point I was like this is not looking good like I think I thought they still had a run in them but I was just like do they have enough of a run in them and that clearly I mean was the turning point right and great for Anna because I was surprised that we didn't see her at all in the game yesterday but we don't see yeah. her on the floor at all but she still made a huge contribution off the bench with that comment Right. I was thinking at one point during the game, like, I think they've only played six. And then like running through my head, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Because I had just kind of forgotten about 
Anna because she hadn't played so much this season that like, I just missed her when I was counting through my head, but then they showed her on the sideline at one point. I'm like, Oh, that's right. Anna hasn't played. And I kind of understand why she didn't play because really, I don't feel like anyone on UConn had a bad game or weren't contributing when they were out there. I think Aubrey Griffin at some points was a little shaky, but really she kept them afloat when either Olivia Nelson, Adota or Leah Edwards was in foul trouble. And really that's all you could ask from her. And you weren't going to take out page backers. You weren't going to take out Avina Westbrook. You weren't going to take out Kristen Williams. So I think really just at that point, there wasn't any spot in the rotation for Anna to come in, especially with Baylor's bigs. Yeah, exactly. I think like when you had to pull out Olia or Liv because of foul trouble, Aubrey just seemed like the most logical person to slot in there, right? Like you, you gave up too much size to put someone other than Aubrey and and like you said, I thought maybe like Anna would have come in some in that first half and that like second quarter when things weren't going so great, just because I thought Aubrey looked a little shaky early on. So I was like, oh, maybe put Anna in here and see if that gets something going on offense. But in the se- second half, it really didn't really make sense. I feel like just to slot Anna in there, I thought Aubrey was playing much better and just the most logical fit there. Right. And for me, that timeout was the most crucial point in the game. And without that timeout, UConn doesn't win because then what happens almost immediately out of that timeout, D.D. Richards comes up the floor, travels, goes down really weird, grabbing at the back of her leg. And the second you saw that, it was, okay, that's a hamstring. I mean, you could see they were trying to taper up on the sideline and she did give it a go for a little bit in the fourth quarter, but that was it for her. She was not anywhere near the type of player that she was before. She hurt that leg when she came back. And once Dee Dee Richards left the game, I think that kind of clicked in UConn's head, like, oh my God, we can actually do this. Like Dee Dee Richards played very well against Paige. She was helping Baylor's offense flow pretty well. And the moment they left that game, you could tell that Baylor started to get a little nervous and all of a sudden that UConn got some confidence and immediately that's when UConn starts building its run and slowly page hits a three Kristen hits a three Aubrey draws a charge page gets a steal two points at the end of the third quarter and even though it was two points my the thought running through my head was that UConn's going to take this lead very very soon and it's just going to be a matter of how large it's going to get before Baylor stops them because there's no doubt in my mind they were going to come out strong in that fourth quarter and Baylor was going to be still wobbling from Dee Dee Richards injury yeah, and then Baylor comes in in that fourth quarter and they put Dee Dee Richards back on the court, which she was not moving well out there at all. It probably honestly hurt them to try to put her back out there. And UConn just continues to go on another 8-0 run. It ends up being a 19-0 run, which is just something like unheard of in a game like this. Like UConn goes on 19-0 runs against Big East opponents or whatever, but a 19-0 run against Baylor, who's one of the best teams in the country. Like I don't, I know that they were shaking up. And, Richards, but that's just insane for them to allow that. Right. Well, everyone's been talking about how Kim Mulkey didn't take a timeout during that run, but that run extended between the third quarter and fourth quarter. So there was a de facto timeout in there. It's not like UConn just for seven minutes straight, we're running rough shot on Baylor and Kim Mulkey was doing nothing about it. There was a break in between that and UConn was kicking the crap out of them on both sides of that break. So yeah, Kim Bulky definitely should have taken another timeout at some point in there. But still, UConn 
continued it over a break in the action, which I thought was one of the most impressive parts about that run. Right, because usually, you know, when you're on a run like that, it's a lot of momentum, and then a break in the action tends to kind of, like, slow that down, but they just came out with that same energy and the same momentum going into the fourth, and it took, I think it was, like, a second-chance bucket from Melissa Smith that eventually ended it, but they just came out firing on all cylinders again and getting the stops on defense. So, I think Aubrey Griffin took another charge kind of very early on in that fourth quarter. So, just getting it done on both ends. And then Paige Beckers had 10 points, I think, of that 19. So, she really gets going as well with Richards off the floor. Yeah, Paige was incredible in that fourth quarter. Kristen Williams, too. Kristen Williams deserves a lot of credit. She's been just unbelievable these last two games. I think we've definitely seen her take that next step in her game. But just to start with Paige, Gino had a great quote about she knows she can fulfill the moment and not every player can do that. And I think that's what makes her so great. We saw it in the Tennessee game where she twists her ankle, comes back and hits the game clinching three. We saw it against South Carolina where she scored every single point in overtime for UConn and hit that ridiculous three-pointer at the end of the game. We even saw it against Arkansas where she had a bunch of points in the fourth quarter of that game. I don't remember how many, but she had a strong game there. She just seems to have such a great knack for coming up in these big spots and producing when UConn needs it. And that's just why I felt confident about UConn going into the NCAA tournament, because I really just don't feel like Paige Beckers is going to let them lose because when she decides that she needs to go score, I don't know if there's anyone in the country that can stop her. And I think we just saw that again. Yeah, agreed. When she hit that three, the last shot that went in before they kind of went to the fourth quarter at the end of the third quarter, and they were only down by two, I was just kind of like looking at the team and I was just like, Paige Beckers is not losing this game. Like she had just scored five points in like a minute and a half or so. And I was like, she's just going to keep this going. They're not losing. Yeah. And then like Kristen Williams too, she was great because Kristen Williams has such a strong and well-balanced offensive game. But you can just see there's those moments where she's driving to the rim where no one's going to stop her. She just has this possessed look in the best way possible in her eye where she just drives so strong to the rim, has such great finishing ability, is really good at doing that reverse layup around with her left hand. She was also fantastic in the fourth quarter in that run. It really felt like a lot of it was Paige and Kristen just basically trading who is going to score the basket every single time down the court. And she's just been coming up huge for UConn in this NCAA tournament as a whole. I feel like we've mentioned so much how she's never been at her potential. She's shown how high it is at the very beginning of her career against Notre Dame and hasn't gotten very close to it since. I think we're starting to see what type of player Kristen Williams can be when she's at the top of her game. And she's pretty close to an unstoppable force when she's there. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk more about the Iowa game in a bit, but she was just absolutely insane in that game. And then even last night, her totals maybe weren't as high, but she played so well, especially down the stretch for them. The play that sticks out to me, I think it was in the fourth quarter, still as part of that run, she gets a transition bucket and she goes down the end of the floor, gets very clearly fouled, but still has the patience to like get it up and into the basket. Doesn't get the foul call, but I I thought that was just a great play. um, But yeah, she had so many of the buckets that I've, don't have the number in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised if basically that run, I think there was like a, a putback from Malia Edwards, but otherwise I think it was all Paige and Kristen. Yeah. And 
I think that's basically if UConn ends up winning the national championship, I think we're going to look back and it's going to be those two that led them in this run. Like you look back, 2013 was the Stewie run. The 2009 and 2010 teams were Maya Moore and Tina Charles. This one, if they end up winning and winning and getting the national championship, which as of right now, they look closer than they've been in a long time to getting there. I feel like it's very strongly not just going to be the Paige Beckers run, but it's going to be the Paige Beckers and Kristen Williams run. At least I hope it is because she has been probably for as good as Paige has been and as good as Aaliyah Edwards has been. I think Kristen's probably been their most important player throughout this term. And that's something that we said at the beginning of it, that she needed to be on her game for UConn to be a legitimate national championship contender. And I really think she's answered that bell. She's just been so good on both ends of the floor. There's no way UConn gets past Baylor without her being at the level that she was last night. No way. Yeah, I agree. I think she's been the most important player on the floor because you knew what you were going to get from Paige going into this. Paige has been Paige all season long, but for Kristen to kind of kick into this next gear and to be playing like the player she was in that Notre Dame game and be really playing at that level just makes you kind of such a better team. It's what's getting them through Baylor. It's what probably going to get them to a national championship this year. I think they've gotten through the worst of it at this point. So um, yeah, you can't say enough about what she's done for this team to get to this level. What did you think of Olivia Nelson Adota? She only has three points, but got eight rebounds, had four assists, was in foul trouble for a good amount of the game, but she had five blocks too. I think it was something that we talked about on the Chasing Perfection pregame show, if you listen to that, where I don't really think they need to rely on Olivia Nelson Adota for points. That that just isn't their game. It doesn't need to be their game. I didn't think... Olivia Nelson Adota played poorly yesterday, despite the three points. I think if anything, it would have just been bad offense to try and force the ball through her in the post because it probably wouldn't have ended up very well. She would have gotten either double teamed or she would have struggled to finish over Baylor's bigs. So I thought she played the type of game that UConn needed her to. And maybe UConn could have been a little better on the offensive boards, especially in that first half. But after Baylor got that second chance basket in the first minute of the second half, I think they only had two or maybe they had more offensive rebounds, but I think they only had four second chance points the, the rest of the game. And I think Olivia Nelson Adota was a big part of that. She has, especially these last two games, just been fantastic rebounding. It's not just that she's getting rebounds because she's the tallest person on the floor. She's been boxing out. She's been using her body. She's been physical. She's gone and gotten those rebounds. So I even though Nelson Adota didn't have the points, I think she played the way that UConn needed her to. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's what they needed from her, right? They needed her to be on the glass because that was going to be a big deciding factor in this game was who, who was attacking the glass better. And they needed her to help facilitate the offense maybe a little bit. She didn't do that as much, I think, last night, but I think the glass was the key part. And she played really well in that respect. She didn't score a ton of points. They didn't need that. They had enough other players that could score points. So I I thought it was a really strong performance from her. I'm glad she got the three points just because everyone always goes on about how she hasn't scored against Baylor in her career. Well, she finally did that. But I I thought she played really well. I think the big question going into this game was, right, like we've seen her kind of struggle against when she has to play tougher players. And she'd been pretty solid so far in the tournament with, you know, Iowa's bigs, Syracuse's bigs. 
But this was a whole nother level, and I think she played exactly how you kind of needed her to. So I, I thought it was a really solid game from her. Right, and you also said that she wasn't much of a distributor, but she led the team in assists because they only had nine in the entire game. <laughs> right. So she was the best distributor that UConn had on the floor. Amazingly, Paige Beckers didn't have an assist. I can't think off the top of my head if that's happened this season. I can check it quickly in a second, but yeah, she was impressive. The five blocks too, I don't think that can be overstated. She was very, very good on the defensive end. And I felt like she got hit with a couple soft fouls, especially one that sent her to the bench. I don't remember exactly what number it was, if it was her second, third, or fourth. But there was one where she kind of bumped someone trying to get a ball and ended up getting called for a foul on it. I, For all the contact that there was throughout the game, I thought there were a couple that were a little questionable on her. But UConn doesn't need her to score. They didn't need Aaliyah Edwards to score too. She only had four points. Granted, those four points were pretty big if I remember right, Mm -hmm. but she also had seven rebounds. Three of those were offensive. So both those players, I just thought were very strong and all they had to do was contain Baylor's bigs and not let Baylor win the rebounding battle. Well, I think it was plus two for Baylor. UConn will take that trade. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like you said, neither of them scored a lot of points, but Edwards also had seven rebounds. She had three blocks too. And then a, a steal there that led to a, a transition three from Beckers as well. So I thought they both played really well. And UConn didn't need them to score. So they both did exactly what UConn needed during the game. And going back to the zero assist for Paige, I thought that was interesting, but I think a lot of that was because she had Richards on her for most of the game. And it felt like they didn't really have her running the offense probably because she had that defensive pressure I'm sure that was part of the game plan knowing that Richards was going to be guarding her it felt like Westbrook and Williams were kind of running the offense a little bit more and then trying to feed Paige so I think it was kind of part of UConn's game plan there to keep her off the ball a little bit more to allow her to move and try to get away from Richards I think that Richards injury is so so huge and sometimes I think it's just better to be lucky than good and to win a national championship when you don't have an overwhelming talent advantage like UConn's had so many times, you need to get lucky. And I think if they end up winning at all, it's fair to say that they got lucky that Dee Dee Richards got hurt because if she doesn't, I don't think UConn wins that game. And I don't think UConn gets particularly close to winning that game. And that's just the way things go. And I don't think to go way back, if Svetlana Brasimova and Shea Ralph don't get hurt in 2001, UConn walks to that national championship. If Katie Lou Samuelson doesn't have a foot injury for the entire 2018 season, they walk to that national championship. So injuries are a part of the game. They've kept UConn from winning national championships in the past. It might help them win a national championship this year. You don't want anyone to get hurt, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, and even, I mean, you have to think about, too, the fact that, like, yeah, Richards got hurt, but if Nika Mule is in this game, it's also probably a different game. I think Nika would have thrived in the, the way that game was called. So as much as people want to be like, if Richards doesn't get hurt, UConn doesn't win, well, what if Nika Mule was out there, too? So I, I, it is what it is, and, yeah, you don't want anyone to get hurt, but you need some luck, obviously, to, to win a national championship. Right, that's a fair point, but... Also, as much as we are both fans of Nika Mule, and I think she would have made an impact out there, I still feel like Dee Dee Richards is a much larger player than Nika, just because Nika's a very good role player, and I don't mean role player in a bad way. She's a very good role player, but Dee Dee Richards, I think, was the key to Baylor, and 
without her, they probably don't end up going like if she missed this entire season after her scary neck injury earlier in the year, I don't think Baylor probably even gets to the sweet 16. They definitely do not get to the elite eight. So I think she was the piece kind of keeping Baylor all together where with mule, I feel like we've seen that it's not great that they don't have her, but they can at least survive her missing some time. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, Dee Richards is kind of the heart and soul that you could, or that Baylor team, I mean, as good as Melissa Smith is, and she is their national player of the year candidate. They don't really have an answer at point guard. It's why they moved Dee Richards into that point guard spot because they, they have a freshman that can come in in her place, but they didn't really have anyone to run that role. And she has done it so well all season. Um, and obviously her defensive presence and just her energy brings so much to that team too. So you hate to see her go down like that too, after everything that you know, she's been through to get to play this season. Right. If anything, you just feel bad that that's the way she has to go out because that's just unfair. You shouldn't have your season end watching from the bench because of a hamstring injury. It's just the most frustrating, probably injury to get. It's not like she, luckily she didn't blow out her knee or she didn't twist her ankle or something like that. It was just a very weird step. And we, I don't know, but I've pulled my hamstring a million times since I started playing summer softball and it always happens on really weird situations. It's never something that you feel like could be prevented. So it was tough, but again, that's just the way things go sometimes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So to even get to face Baylor, UConn played Iowa. And obviously last podcast, all we could talk about was Caitlin Clark versus Paige Beckers because that was the matchup in front of us. And I think it didn't disappoint. It wasn't obviously just Paige Beckers versus Caitlin Clark, but it was a great game, a very entertaining game. UConn won by 20, but it really wasn't that close until the fourth quarter. It was one of those games, and I feel like UConn has these a lot, especially against some of those higher-tier Big East AAC opponents where they're always kind of ahead by 10, 15 points, and the other team is always hanging around. You can't quite put them away, but they're also never really in that much danger of possibly losing the game. And that's how it felt against Iowa. I never really thought like UConn had a chance to lose that game, even if it wasn't necessarily a super wide margin, but it was just a fun basketball game. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like sitting there watching it, yeah, you knew they were in even like nine points sometimes, but I was like, I never had a thought cross my mind that like, oh, UConn's going to lose this game. Um, but it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, obviously a high scoring game right there and up scoring 92 points. That's always fun to watch. And I just think the way UConn's offense was moving was like that typical, beautiful UConn offense where there's a lot of passes. They have 30 assists on 40 made baskets. I think it's a season high for assists for them. So it was just fun to watch. Yeah, and I find it so funny that we spent so much time talking Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, the freshman from UConn, the freshman from Iowa. And then Kristen Williams steals the show. She was by far UConn's best player. Gino said it was her best game at UConn. I don't think there's even a remotely close second in that. 27 points scored at will, and also just played fantastic defense against Caitlin Clark. Clark still finished with 21, but it took her 7 of 21 shooting to do that, and she took some awful shots in that game because of Kristen Williams, and she took some bad shots that went in. So Kristen Williams played really good defense on her, and I don't think the 21 points are a reflection of Kristen Williams. I think that's more just a reflection of how good Caitlin Clark is that even when she has a bad game, she still finishes with 21 points. So that was just the moment for me that I felt like Kristen Williams has finally arrived as a player. This is who she could be. This is her full potential. The ceiling that I saw her freshman year in those flashes, it finally, after three years, finally feels like it's coming to fruition. Yeah, I agree. I, she had an incredible game. But I don't think you, anyone could argue with you know, that it was her best game in the UConn uniform. Actually, my mom had texted me in like the first quarter, or maybe it was the second quarter, being like, Kristen has that look in her eyes today. And I was like, you're not wrong. Like She just came out and was on fire in the offensive end. And I think that comes from her defense somewhat too, right? I think when she's performing that well in the defensive end, it just kind of translates to things going well on offense for her. I think Gina's talked about that a lot during the season, how – she does better when she doesn't focus so much on does her shot go through the basket and is doing other things for this team. And then it all just kind of came together in this Iowa game. And she goes out and scores those 27 points. And she just, she drove in the lane a lot. Her three-pointers went down uh, at a decent clip. It was just a really, really solid game from her. So I think that was great to see. And yeah, I mean, it was, oh, that didn't make sense. Um, but yeah, so she does has a great game. And then for as much as I have done, you know, Page as well, but then Vina Westbrook comes out and has a great game. And even in the first half, I think Ole Edwards, a lot of her 18 points came in that first half. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, they're talking about the two freshmen in this game. And no one really was talking about the third, but Ole Edwards came out and it's like, hey, there's a third freshman in this game that you should be paying attention to. Yeah, that was actually really funny how, again, so much Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark. And then the opening five or so minutes is just all Aliyah Edwards. It's her rise has just been incredible. I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Beckers and Clark have been the two best freshmen in the country. Aaliyah Edwards is probably number three. Yeah, I would say you should probably throw Cameron Brink from Iowa, or not from Iowa, from Stanford in there as well. <laughs> Iowa on my mind, but yeah. Cameron Brink from Stanford has also been phenomenal in the minutes that she plays. She comes off the bench for, for Stanford and doesn't necessarily play as much as Aaliyah Edwards, but she's been great. But yeah, the four of them are clearly the best four freshmen in the country. Also just a remarkable statistical performance. So one of the, I think, most bizarre stats with UConn women's basketball is that they have had so many good players throughout the years and they've only had five triple doubles in program history. 
And what's even more remarkable about that is against Iowa, they almost have two players do it in one game. Avina Westbrook came just a rebound away. I can't believe she, she was at that one rebound for a pretty long amount of time too. It's amazing. Nothing bounced to her to give her, give it. And then Paige Beckers ended up pretty close too. She had nine rebounds and eight assists. Not that far off either. So uh, just both both of them had really great games. I think that was just the peak of Ina Westbrook performance, as you wrote about, where she doesn't necessarily need to ever do any one specific thing for UConn in a game. She just does whatever's needed from her, and she just did everything for UConn in that game. Yeah, it was just like peak of Ina Westbrook doing a little bit of everything, except for she, she did a lot of everything in this one. But yeah, I think it was kind of just like a... I don't know. It was a, a really strong performance from her. I think we saw it. She went out and she scored 17 points. She knocked down a bunch of threes, which I think was was key for UConn. But then also, you know, the assists, she really facilitated the offense and, and the rebounds. So just some of everything UConn needed, which is she does whatever this team needs. And I think, you know, a lot of pays and Kristen said kind of similar things after the game, but she always does whatever UConn needs and in Iowa game, they needed a lot of scoring, but they also needed other things. And she just came out and did it all. Just as a somewhat unrelated side note, as much as I have said that I think Avina Westbrook should go to the WNBA after the season, I will be sad if she does because Avina Westbrook is quietly, maybe the funniest person on this team. Every now and then she'll just have a very, very subtle, like one liner or little saying in a press conference that's just like maybe you don't necessarily pick up at it at first but like I'll go back and listen to the audio and (laughs) yesterday someone asked that it was Kristen Williams and Avina Westbrook talking on the same zoom and someone asked about not cutting down the nets to the final four and Kristen was like I didn't even know that they cut down the nets what do you even do with it if you cut it down and Avina Westbrook was like some people savor it they put it in a collage just made me laugh so I thoroughly enjoy Avita Westbrook, the person, and also she's fun to watch on the basketball court too. But yeah, that was, again, a peak Avita Westbrook performance in the best possible way. Yeah, I'm not sideline too much on the draft, but if she does decide to clear, I think what she's been doing for UConn in this NCAA tournament has definitely elevated her draft stock quite a bit. So should she go, um, I think she's doing wonders for herself in this tournament, the way she's been playing. Also, a very underrated storyline, I think, of hers. Her three-point shooting has come back all of a sudden. She started out the season great from three-point range. I think she was up near like 50% or something ridiculous. Then she went ice cold for a long, long part of the season, pretty much the entire second half through the Big East tournament, really. I think, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like 0 for 15 at one point. It was bad. It seems like these last few games, she's gotten that three-point stroke back, and that is huge for UConn to have a secondary three-point threat besides Paige Beckers. If Avina can hit these, hit those shots consistently in these next two games, UConn's winning the national championship. Oh, yeah. That's like the one thing that's been missing from this team is three-point shooting. So to have her be able to come in and do that is huge for them. So, yeah, I mean... We could already, we've already talked about how I think if they got through Baylor, they've, they were going to win this, but adding that from Avina makes me even more confident that they're going to be able to win this national championship. Well, speaking of future opponents, UConn will take on Arizona in the final four. It's Arizona's first final four. 
UConn making its 21st appearance. I think the new greatest stat to describe UConn women's basketball's dominance is they're going to their 21st Final Four. They have lost 20 NCAA tournament games total ever. So they've there's they're more likely to go to the Final Four in a given year than they are to lose, which is just insane. Totally insane. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many stats to just describe like how dominant this program has been over the last 25, 30 years, whatever it is. But that one is just another one to add to the, the top of the heap. <laughs> First Final Four ever for Arizona again. Really an interesting, I guess, connection here in that Arizona had only been to one Sweet 16 before in 1998. Guess who they played? UConn. One of the players on that team, Adia Barnes, who's now Arizona's head coach. She's been a part of Arizona's two NCAA tournament runs. Both of them have involved UConn. The big player on Arizona, Ari McDonald, five foot six guard, has been a finalist for National Player of the Year awards. Really just Arizona's everything. Very similar to Caitlin Clark in that she's pretty much the player that does everything for them. And it's going to be a really interesting matchup to see how UConn goes against her. Yeah. So adding to the Adia Barnes storyline, just incredible what she's done with this Arizona program. I think in her first year as a head coach, they won six games and they're now headed to a final four. She's only five years into her coaching career. So just incredibly impressive. And then, yeah, Ari McDonald joins her, I think in the second year of that, that coaching span. And she's just been absolutely incredible for for Arizona, she averages 20 points per game, but she's the type of player that's very easily can put up 30 on you. She put up 30 in both the last two games um, in the, the Sweet 16 and in the Elite Eight to lead them to the Final Four. And she also leads the team in rebounds and leads the team in assists and steals. And the only thing she basically doesn't lead them in is, is blocks. But at 5.6, that's probably to be expected. Um, she's just so quick. I think that's my favorite thing about her game is she could beat probably anyone in the country up the floor. She's so fast. And then her defense is also just so good. She's a really intense defensive player. I think that's when you look at the tough matchups that UConn's had this year, like when you look at Caitlin Clark, like Caitlin Clark can score in a variety of ways and can get out in transition and Ari McDonald can do all those things, but you're not really going to go home, right home about Caitlin Clark's defense where Ari McDonald's defense is also just so strong. She's probably a top, you know, five top 10 draft pick this year. So she's going to be a tough matchup for UConn. Um, but I also think the way this this um, Arizona team is, they've got a handful of other players that are pretty solid. But if you can slow down or shut down Ari McDonald, UConn's going to be in good shape in this matchup. I feel like it's probably going to be another Kristen Williams matchup here, right? Yeah, I would have to imagine that that Williams is going to get the offensive or the defensive assignment on Ari McDonald. So that's going to be kind of one to keep an eye on. I mean, I think we've seen her do so well, even with Caitlin Clark. Like, yeah, Clark scored 21 points, but the amount of shots she had to take to get there. Um, Williams just did a really, really good job on her. So I think, yeah, she's definitely going to draw that assignment going into this one. And Ari McDonald honestly might be a little bit of a tougher test in my opinion, as good as Clark is in the, her range, Ari McDonald just so, so quick. So she's going to try to get around you. So it's going to be a tough set assignment again for Kristen Williams, but I'm excited to see kind of how she handles that. 
I think the other storyline in this one, though, is also going to be on the opposite end of the floor. If you have Ari McDonald guarding Paige Beckers, I think it's going to be another really kind of tough defense that Paige Beckers is going to be facing. Yeah, and it's kind of tough to judge how she did against Baylor because obviously Dee Dee Richards came out. But even if you remove those 10 points in that 19-0 run, without Richards in there, she still had 18 points. It's not like she was invisible by any means. I think one thing just to look at with this McDonald matchup is Kristen Williams definitely got the bulk of the minutes on Caitlin Clark, but it wasn't exclusively her. They switched very frequently. I think we saw some Avita Westbrook, some Paige Beckers. So I'm curious as to how much they try and make it just they put Kristen on her and then build the rest of the defense or if it's similar to the Arkansas or not the Arkansas game oof, the <laughs> Iowa game where they will kind of mix and match and make it maybe 75 80 percent Kristen 20 25 percent Avina and Paige it, it's just going to be another really interesting tactical matchup for UConn yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. I think there's also the, I don't know that it, how probable it is, but there's a slight possibility they get Nika Mule, Ma- Nika Mule back for this. So that would be an interesting matchup there as well, how much they would use Mule on McDonald, especially with her quickness and stuff. I think that could be a good matchup. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think in this case, like even if they, they could probably could afford to double McDonald if they wanted to too. I don't think there's, there's only really a couple other players on the floor for Arizona that might make you pay for that. So I could see them kind of going with the game plan to double her and force someone else to beat you as well. So who are those, who are those other players on Arizona that UConn's going to need to look out for? Yeah, I think the two main ones are Kate Reese and Sam Thomas. Um, and then they also have Trinity Baptiste, but beyond that, there's not really another like fourth major role player. So I think that's, kind of where the the double team on McDonald can come in is like you need to guard Reese Thomas and Baptiste but beyond that I think if you're going to force that fifth player on the floor to to beat you uh, that's not a a bad strategy that's probably a strategy that UConn's taken in the past because even if you do make that fifth player try and beat you it doesn't mean they're going to be wide open every single time UConn's going to be able to rotate they're going to be able to switch so it's not necessarily going to be just letting one player run free which I feel like almost sometimes that's how it's presented where, oh, UConn's going to put all their attention on this one person and they're not going to pay any attention to this one. There's still going to be someone at least in her general direction. So yeah, it's just going to be very interesting to see how UConn approaches it. And just to kind of circle back to Nika Mule, I'm a little more concerned than I was when she first got injured because maybe it's just CD misspoke or something or or mule wasn't questionable when cd said she was questionable and was just being hopeful but i just don't really understand how a player can go from questionable the game after they get hurt to then missing the next three games and ahead of the baylor game gino more or less said that nico wasn't going to play he didn't definitively say it but he said she probably wasn't going to play it didn't look like she had a boot on against Baylor. There are some photos of her or videos that she was just in sneakers. So maybe she's improving and she just wasn't quite there for Baylor. I don't know. We'll get more answers tomorrow on Wednesday when we talk to Gino, but it just, the progression of this just feels a little weird and maybe I'm just overthinking it, but I don't really feel great about her prospects of coming back. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, 
we definitely don't have the whole story. Part of that is probably strategy, right? Like to say she's out well ahead of it makes it easier for the other team to game plan for what they're going to get with Aaliyah Edwards where, you know, not knowing if Mule's going to be on the court or not makes a difference in, I'm sure in terms of how other teams are scouting, but it seems a little unclear to be like what her real status is and is, if we should expect her to be back at any point this tournament or if we should not expect to see her. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I don't knock UConn for not putting out more, not I don't knock UConn for not voluntarily putting out more information because obviously if there's even some semblance of doubt that Nico Mule could play, other teams have to spend an amount of time preparing for that. And that's more time than that they could be using doing literally anything else. So I feel like this week we'll probably get some better answers, try and get a better sense of what's happening. And I kind of feel like just with the way my predictions have gone in this tournament, now that I'm saying that I don't feel great about it, she's probably going to be back against Arizona. So hopefully I can reverse jinx that into existence. <laughs> yeah, I think one other thing with the Arizona matchup is they don't have a ton of size. So that's definitely going to play in UConn's favor. I think they're going to be able to kind of pound the ball in the paint like they did in some of those earlier games. So I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think, you know, these this last game especially, it was so much about can – Olivia Nelson Adota and Kenalia Edwards hold their own where I, I don't think that that's going to be an issue kind of going into this final four matchup. So you mentioned before the show that her hoop stats has this projected to be right around a 15 point margin. UConn's definitely going to be the heavy favorite. They should be the heavy favorite. My question is, do you think this game is more likely to be under that 15 point margin and be a close game or even potentially an upset or do you think it's more likely that this game ends up as a blowout more than 15 points? Yeah, I feel like it ends up being more than 15 points. I think a lot of it comes down to how well UConn contains Ari McDonald. I think that's a big point. Everything runs through her, right? So if you go out there and let her score 40 points, which she is fully capable of doing, then yeah, UConn could be in some trouble. But Kristen Williams isn't going to let her go out there and score 40 points. And then I just think UConn's size advantage in the paint just bodes well for them to be able to pound it inside and really just kind of run away with it. I think the tallest player on the roster is, or that gets significant minutes at least is Baptiste, who's six feet. So I, I just think UConn's going to be able to pound it inside with Edwards and Nelson Adota and kind of really get it up, get up a big margin early and run away with this one. Yeah, it's never a good sign when you're a team going up against UConn and your tallest player is six feet. Like, not even Nelson Adota. Like, obviously, Nelson Adota is just going to feast on that. Good luck with Aaliyah Edwards. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't really think Arizona's going to have an answer inside for, for this team. So, as good as Ari McDonald is, I, I don't really see them having it or being able to challenge UConn. Or I, I don't know about six feet, too. I messed up. <laughs> oh, okay. Still, but, six foot two isn't exactly huge. Yeah, <laughs> but still, same point stand. But I think Oli Edwards and Nelson Adot are gonna have their their way inside. <laughs> this tournament in general is almost kind of giving me 2016 vibes, where we're seeing a lot of teams make runs to rounds that they haven't been to before. Whether it's both Arizona and Indiana battling to get to their first Final Four. Texas knocks off Maryland. It's not quite that same level of chaos and upsets. I don't think UConn's going to play a team similar to 
Syracuse in the national championship game if they get there. But I don't think Oregon State was really much of a test for them in that national semifinal. And I don't think Arizona is going to be that difficult for UConn in this one. So if UConn gets to the national championship game, Gino's 11 and 0 there. I don't know how that's happened, but I just can't, I, I don't believe that you can do that without having some sort of formula for that. Yeah, I agree. I think that kind of at this point, I expect them to get through Arizona pretty easily. And then I don't expect that they're going to change that trend of the 11 or now this season. I mean, this could be outdated by the time this comes out, but my best guess is that it'll be Stanford that they meet. I expect Stanford to beat Louisville pretty handily tonight. I guess they could prove me wrong, but I would be pretty surprised if it's not Stanford that ends up being the matchup for UConn there, which is going to be a really tough game, and I think it's going to be a fun game, but I I still feel like UConn's going to come out with the edge. We're recording this before any of the second Elite Eight games have been played, so we don't know who's going to be on the other side of that Final Four. Having said that, Texas just terrifies me. Not necessarily Texas. Vic Schaefer just terrifies me <laughs> as a head coach. That dude just knows how to coach defense. Knocked off Maryland, one of the best offenses in NCAA history, not just this season, ever. That dude just knows how to coach defense. I feel like... I just don't think UConn ever wants to see Vic Schaefer again. <laughs> That's fair. To be fair, like I'm probably one of like 10 people that actually didn't, wasn't that surprised that they knocked off Maryland because as good as Maryland's offense is like the, the defense in the big 10 is basically similar to Iowa's defense. There's a couple of <laughs> good teams, but the, the, the defense in the big 10 is pretty bad. So I wasn't really surprised that they struggled going up a team like Texas that has a player like Charlie Collier. And it's also just a strong defensive program. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vic Schaefer is an excellent coach is not the type of coach you want to have to meet in a national championship game for sure. The big 10 plays defense the way the AAC won games against UConn. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Other than Indiana, which I'll give them some credit, their defense is decent, but yeah, everyone else. Yeah, yeah I also think it's probably going to end up being Stanford UConn, which last time there was an NCAA tournament final four at the Alamo Dome, it was UConn Stanford. UConn had a generational player on its roster. We'll see if that repeats itself. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, especially considering. I know everyone's complained about how UConn got a really tough draw in the Elite Eight, but let's be honest, now they're getting a pretty easy draw in the Final Four, so it almost feels like it's balanced out in that regard. Yeah, to be honest, I always felt like that was going to be the case once they released the bracket, because even right. if like a NC State, the one seed, had come out, that was going to be an easier matchup than, than Baylor, so... As much as, yeah, they kind of got screwed having to play Baylor in the Elite Eight, they came out of that, and yeah, this game is going to be easier. Also, I I think I'm in the minority here, but I don't really have an issue with UConn playing Baylor in the Elite Eight. I'm honestly completely fine with the NCAA scheduling these brackets for television because I think we've seen the numbers from these first few NCAA tournament games, and they've been great. The Iowa game got huge numbers. The Baylor Michigan game got huge numbers. Let's just make the matchups as best that they can be without compromising the integrity of the bracket too much. Yeah, it probably shouldn't have been UConn Baylor if you went S curve, but Baylor was still probably a number two seed. So UConn could have gotten an easier run, but 
it, it's better that they faced that game last night has everybody talking about women's basketball. Can you imagine if they beat like Texas A&M or someone like that, or Louisville by 15, there would not be a s- single talk show on ESPN on Fox sports on the radio mentioning that game at all. Whereas pretty much every sports network is talking about the UConn Baylor game. So I'm completely okay with it. I have absolutely no issue with UConn getting a hard draw in the elite eight. I agree. And I honestly actually think that game probably was S curve. Like Baylor just got kind of screwed in their own right in that they didn't play a lot of the tough games they were supposed to play this season, like the UConn game, because Kamalki got COVID from having a family holiday party without masks. Um, but they didn't have the big wins. And like, yeah, when you looked at the picture of the country, did I think Baylor was definitely one of the top three teams, top four teams in the country going into this tournament? Yes. But did their resume say that? No. So they were going to be a two seed and probably one of the lower two seats just because A&M played in the, in the SEC and Maryland was the big time, which is a stronger league. So I honestly think that probably actually was the S-curve matchup. Well, and also the biggest argument I heard against it was how can UConn and Baylor meet in the elite eight? Like, does, does that really matter? Just because Baylor is a big name, like. Exactly. I like, do I think the Tennessee or the the Iowa and things were necessarily, actually the Tennessee one might be an S-curve because of the SEC where things had to fall with the SEC. Do I think the Iowa game was S-curve? Probably not, but like the Baylor game was actually probably where the S-curve fell. Right. Even Syracuse to a certain degree. I feel like an old Big East matchup, an old national championship matchup that has way more interest or storylines. There's just more to that game than if it was South Dakota State. And I honestly don't know who another eight eight or nine seed was. (laughs) Someone like that, if that makes sense. I see what you're coming from there. And yeah, I agree. I think and with those games, like, what's the harm in making it? Like, like is there really that much of a difference between one eight and one a different eight or the one five and another five with the Iowa game? So I I kind of agree. I, I don't object to that because it gets more eyes on the game, which is always a good thing. Well, and especially UConn. UConn's going to draw the biggest ratings no matter what. So why not just boost those ratings even more? Like, if UConn is such a set thing, you can just only build off of that. So again, like Tennessee, the potential was there for a Tennessee matchup that would have done great numbers, even if it wasn't necessarily that close of a game. So UConn was basic on barring some major upset. Like if Baylor actually beat Michigan, UConn was pretty guaranteed to have a very highly viewed, highly rated elite eight game, which is the way it should be. I think that was great. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, I can't wait to see the numbers for that Baylor game. The numbers for the Iowa game were fantastic. I think it was like 1.5 million or so for a 1 p.m. game on ABC. That was up against the men's game as well. So obviously great to see. And I'm sure the Baylor game from the amount of Twitter buzz there was last night, I'm sure those numbers are going to be great as well. So it's good to see. Right. And our guy, Mike Toscano, pointed out that apparently a bunch of people in Des Moines don't have ABC for some reason right now because there's some like dispute going on with their cable providers. So that's a very large chunk of viewers that probably would have tuned in that didn't get the chance to because of that. So even more impressive when you look at the numbers. For sure. Yeah, I didn't know that actually, but that's insane. That's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. 
if you need your fix before the final four game against Arizona, we've been doing pregame shows on YouTube and Twitter. We're trying to figure out a way to get it on Facebook. Hopefully by Friday, we'll have a solution to that. That'll be 30 minutes before tip off. I don't think we have a game time yet. So whatever it is, it'll be 30 minutes before come check it out. I don't think ESPN is going to really have much of a pregame show. So this is a place <laughs> to come for it. a five minute pregame show. <laughs> so yeah, wow. <laughs> we'll be longer than five minutes. <laughs> really putting in the legwork for this one. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Get that in your email inbox. Read the UConn blog and Store Central. We've been cranking out the content for you in the NCAA tournament recently, so go check all of that out. Megan, any last thoughts? We'll talk to you Friday night before the final four. That'll do it. <laughs>